Now tell me if you remember No telling if you remember I'll never forget I'll never forget Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is someone I've been watching and following and have been admiring for a while, so I'm really excited about having her on the show, so I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Liz Fong Jones, and I am a developer advocate, site reliability engineer, and an advocate for employee rights and for ethical product design. So we're going to start this right off. And could you tell me why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene, Liz? I think it's important to cause a scene because the status quo is just not working for some people. And I think that we have to make sure that the world is more fair. And that means that we have to disrupt the status quo. And the way that I'm disrupting the status quo in part is if you all saw the Google walkout from last November when 20,000 Google employees and contractors walked out of the Google offices worldwide to protest sexual harassment, what I want to see is I want to see more of that. And in order to see more of that, it means that people that don't necessarily feel safe or supported to go on strike can go on strike, right? That people that uh, are on H-1B visas, people that are contractors who are afraid that their bosses are going to retaliate against them, right? Like all of these groups of people can't necessarily easily engage in industrial action. And that's something I want to support. So I actually donated my last paycheck from Google uh, in order to start a fund, which is going to help workers at tech companies, specifically Google, including the contractors and vendors, to go on strike uh, in order to make sure that they have the support that they need in order to fight for better working conditions and fight for better products. So I saw that... um... Um, you're, you did an, did an interview and then I saw, this is not the first time you've, you've donated money, right? No, I donate money to a variety of causes. In particular, the one thing that I'm most passionate about is I'm a trans woman of color and I turned out fine, I think, but I know that a lot of my trans siblings are really struggling. So the primary thing that I donate money towards is, I donate money towards making sure that trans people can not just survive, but thrive. And that means that I support causes like the Transgender Law Center, which is suing the government over the illegal detention of trans women in illegal and inhumane conditions uh, with the Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency. Uh, I support the National Center for Transgender Equality, which I also sit on the board of, uh, in helping their mission of getting legislative change done, right? Getting policy change done in order to make things across the board fairer uh, for all trans people. So, you know, I've I've tried to donate a significant chunk of the money that I make in tech because I recognize not everyone makes a tech salary. Okay, so you've just said so much. (laughs) And that's why I wanted to tease that out a bit because you wanted your introduction, you said more fair. And I put a question mark about that because that is the thing that keeps coming up. 
because the status quo for those people who benefit from the status quo believe that that's fair and that anyone who has been had and then they it becomes a a a conversation i'll put that in quotes because it usually becomes a debate on or me trying them trying to get me to justify why i am not um, benefiting in the same way because of course we're all having the same experiences and so if you're saying um, that what the status quo is unfair then then you're trying to take something from me which will make it unfair for me um, so I want to talk about that and then I want to speak to specifically your advocacy in trans in the trans community I am so learning uh, so uh, weird. When I used to live in Chicago, I worked for a physician who actually, and I did not know him this when he hired me. I was his receptionist. Physician who um, his office was for trans or, or yes, yeah, transgender individuals. So they were coming there. There was a psychologist there who was giving counseling, all the pre stuff. There were people who were coming to get hormones, and I didn't even understand any of this until I got to know the young ladies. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. So this was back in the 90s when I first really had my exposure to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. And so, um, so I've never um, been. So it always bothered me when people were like, oh, you know, um, I can tell. I'm like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. I know some beautiful women that you would not be able to tell. Well, they're women. What are you talking about? Um, so I, had, the, I was, had that language earlier. But what I'm finding out now as I explore white supremacy and racism and oppression and all of this work is how connected I am to these communities because of my own experiences of oppression, particularly uh, trans women of color and black trans women who yeah. are being slaughtered. Um, yep. And so I really want to, since I have someone on this show who is, because I've had trans, and, and that's another thing I, I can tell you, in the short time that I've been in this community, either I've had, um, my, my percentage of transgender individuals who speak at my conferences or on my podcast, I am proud to say knocks most people out of the box. Because and and it's not that I'm actively in seeking individuals like yourself. It's this is our community, and because I create safe spaces, you feel safe enough to come on. And so I'm uh -huh. really proud of myself, and I can pat myself on the back for that. Because I really so I want to have a conversation about tech, and 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 organizing and and unethical crap there. But I definitely want to make sure we get into this transgender conversation because a lot too much is going on that people don't know about. So um, I wanted to make sure we put those two things out there. So Absolutely. I have to say that I was fucking blown away that your, that your salary, um, you, can, you, you had $100,000 to give away. I was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And that's not even the, and that was, just, that was just a paycheck? That was one, that was about two months of my stock grants at Google. So... It turns out that when you're especially, when your skills are especially unique, that companies will pay a lot of money to have those skills. So the story of how I started getting somewhere in the order of like $50,000 a month uh, out of Google uh, comes from in 2015, um, I was moving from Boston, New York, and I started looking around for companies. I wasn't entirely happy with what I saw at Google then. Um, so I started looking around at companies. And one company that interviewed me was Dropbox. And Dropbox said, hey, 
you've worked on storage systems at Google before. We want help with building our own storage system. And they said, we'll pay you a million dollars over four years if you, if you help us do that. And I went to Google and I said, you know what? You're paying me like $200,000 per year. Like Dropbox is offering to double that, right? Like I, I would love to keep working for you, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to undersell myself. If, some, if that's what my mar- money is worth on the market, then, you know, my boss said, you know what? We would love to keep you. Let's make it so it's about the work and not about the money. So they basically matched the offer. And and then I got a, a, a letter to sign that said, we're giving you essentially $250,000 per year of stock. And then Google stock doubled in the course of the four years. So, so that's how I had my last two months worth of stock be worth $100,000. And so this is where, I, this is where, thank you for that. Because although I'm fucking blown away as I'm trying to figure out where am I going to get the money for my next set of bills, not jealous at all because you've earned that shit. What I am blown away from is the fact that you're speaking about it because it communicates what the value is in tech. And I tell people all the time, people put money because that's the one thing we can agree on that says value. And so when people say, Kim, why are you charging? Because what I bring to the table has value. And Mm -hmm. this is uh, this is the only space. Tech is the only space I see that people from marginalized communities, the most vulnerable in our communities can level up in 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 a way that they cannot do in these more traditional very much status quo spaces. So thank you so much about that because I am, again, definitely not jealous about it. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I'm so proud of you for speaking out because that emboldens the rest of us to say, fuck you, I'm asking for what, I'm, what, I, what I deserve. So there is no shame in what my prices are and when I raise my prices because I am worth it. I bring value and other people bring value. And this is what this industry is willing to pay. It, it just takes us to say, Hey, this is what somebody, because had you not gone there, you probably wouldn't have known what somebody else was. No, I wouldn't have known had I not interviewed around. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, oh my God, I guess like we could have a whole nother conversation on how to do that. But okay. So, so with that said, so you had a hell of a lot of leverage because you had the financial, um, stability to say, you know what? Um, I'm going to walk on what can you do about it? You know what? I'm going to leave this job and what can you do about it? So you that gives you freedom. And this is what people don't get when you're talking about more fair. The status quo has always had the leverage of having the, the benefits of the financial and networks that gave them the freedom to do the things that we've never had to do. And so now we're coming into this space and we, we're at, Fuck, screw that because I'm just like my shirt says, not asking permission, um, giving notice. We're giving notice that we're in the space. You're not getting rid of us. And we're going to fundamentally change the space so that more people can come in because it's not just the right thing to do. It is right for business, period. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about how did you become this light? I'm, I'm going to call you a lightning rod. And if you don't like that, just let me know. Um, and, and Google, because you have shaken up, you have caused some, 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 some trouble there. Um, good trouble on our end. But um, your voice, how did your voice rise? So I see the fi- how the financial thing came about. But how did your voice, yeah, how did you leverage your voice in this conversation? I think it's two pieces though, right? Like, you know, I when I started doing activism in 2010, 
I didn't have quite as much leverage, right? But the thing that I had was I knew what it was like to be homeless, right? I knew what it was like to have $100 in my bank account and be like, oh, no, I'm not sure if I can afford food, right? Like, I've had that experience. So I knew I couldn't possibly get that bad, even if I instantaneously lost my job, right? That so it was wasn't hypothetical of, for you. It wasn't like theory. It was, I know what this is and I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. when I was prepared to say, you know what, fuck you, right? Like to to the uh, to the real names policy at Google, I knew that even if they fired me, like I'd be fine. Like I could get another job. It, it wouldn't be as bad as being homeless, right? And I think that that really kind of, I mean, think about what can I do to help other people? And especially what can I do in order to make sure that people who are trans women, people who are gay, people who are like exploring themselves, people who are closeted and need that space, right, to explore and figure out, you know, who am I and what support do I have, right? If the entire internet became real names only, I knew that that was going to be in danger. And that's why I knew I had to speak up was because otherwise I knew that the next generation of trans women, of trans men, of non-binary people, of, of LGB people, like, that those people were in danger and the entire world became like Facebook. And it was like, you must use your legal name only. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things. So when I, when I, I'm always thinking strategically. So when I decided that, well, not decided when I just kind of got sucked into this whole activism thing, um, I went to some of the people who were following me, these um, infotech security people and started, hey, what do I need to do to clean up some of this stuff that is about me online so that I'm not doxxed or whatever. And I found that I could do everything except for on Facebook. And that's why I'm not on Facebook. That's why I had to ask my family members to to deselect me as a family member and the friends to deselect me as all these things and to get rid of and to have Facebook literally be just friends and family because they will not let me change my name. Um, And I do not want people to be able to find me or my family through that, that platform. And when you don't have, when you're a part of the status quo, you're not a part of the communities that are most are, are targeted for this stuff. So you don't think about that. Right, exactly. And the thing that was ironic was the people leading this project within Google, the Google Plus project said, oh, real names are going to curb abuse because no one would be abusive under their real names. But if you allow all of these random names, then you know who knows what might happen? And I was like, Dude, really? <laughs> really? Like, right? Like, you know, <laughs> white supremacists feel perfectly comfortable yes. being white supremacists and harassing people of color under the real names, right? Like, you know, this does not provide safety to any of us. And even before we got online, that was very obvious. Um, you had the Ku Klux Klan who covered their faces, but there are very a lot of people who had no problem with getting in positions of power and using that power to leverage it against uh, more vulnerable communities. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it was so ignorant of the people leading the project that were, you know, people who are in the majority were like, you know, yeah. And who've never been taught. And this is why um, I'm having I have major issues with these um, women, women coding things and women in tech things that are run by predominantly cis white women. Um, because what it turns into is white feminism and these p- places, spaces that you've said are safe for women of color 
um, trans women, binary individuals um, actually are not uh, because of your own blindnesses and blind spots. You you are actually actively um, engaging in white supremacist behavior. And and this is where the... And it pisses yeah, me off. Yeah, it's false advertising, right? Yes. It's false advertising if you say we're inclusive, but but only to white women, right? Yeah, like and then... And then it's, but it, it also pisses me off because as we said at the top of this show, the ability that you've created for yourself, the, the spaces and, and how you've leveraged your income, these, these women are coming into this space believing that because they're, they're buying the, pro, the, the uh, PR, believing that these spaces are, are, are safe. And they even leave before they even get to the job because these spaces have turned them and then they leave tech because this is just not where I want to be. So this is, that's where it pisses me off because when you talk about the pipeline, which is a bullshit. It's getting when people decide to transition into tech and you have these groups who are putting themselves out as supportive of these marginalized groups and they're causing the harm. These individuals do not, cannot make the, the, the switch between, wait a minute, it's just, it's, this is white feminism. No, this is tech and it's obviously not good for me or it's not right for me. And so I leave. And so we leave losing voices as they even come through the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then once they get there, right, like it's just so sexist and so racist, right? Like it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, every time I talk about, you know, this is how much money I made, right? Like, but for every me, like there, there are five people who didn't get those set of opportunities or who got driven out before they could get there. Right. So it's not all sunshine and roses. But not only that, because of every one of you, there are 20 white dudes who got it and didn't have to ask for it. They just got it. And so yep. that's the status quo. That's the status quo. And that's why I'm so proud of you to see that a woman is doing it. And a woman who's not saying you got to lean in and you got to do these things and you got to assimilate. But someone who just was, uh, was a badass. And, this, and, and Because I'm just going to put it out here. As a trans woman of color, making that, you are making that kind of money, you are such an anomaly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you are... Um, as, as, uh, as Coraline, um, says, she's like, she's like, I'm a woman who can code, you know, I am white supremacist's worst nightmare, but she's a white transgender woman, but mm-hmm. to be a woman of color, a transgender a woman of color and still rock and roll with the best of the mediocre white dudes. Yeah. You are an epitome of everything they, they don't want. And I'm, that's why I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, right, like, that's why I get so much hate, right? I get racist hate, I get transphobic hate, I get, I get sexist hate, right? Like, all these things come together. Yes, yes. And so, um, again, this is where, because um, she calls it being kin. And this is what I, I, I feel such a kinship with transgender women, because black women are just like at the bottom of the totem pole. And when I look around to who I can lend my privilege to, it's unfortunate, but it's trans women and trans women of color. Um, and you've and you to me have demonstrated that it's possible to yeah. to be successful even in the hate and the vitriol and all that other stuff that you're dealing with. You still can rock and roll, and you still have your community that um, that supports you and, and looks out for you. Because we were supposed to do this episode um, a month ago, and and you had to say, "Hey, I'm tired. I'm, I'm burnt out a little bit." And I was like, "Do you boo? Do take care and make sure you take care of yourself." Because it means absolutely nothing if the people who are on the front line are just worn out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, that was the week that I was told that, hey, you know, you thought you were leaving on Google on February 25th. Actually, you're too inconvenient. We're going to push you out the door on January 29th, right? 
Mm, yeah. And see, this is what, see, this is where, again, I love that you were in a Google and, and nothing to say about smaller companies, but everybody Google this, you know, Google has a name, it has a brand. And so to have someone inside who can refute or who can challenge the narrative that Google is doing everything they can to make it a safe space for everybody, it's needed because they have the leverage of um, being on every platform. They have the leverage of the, the backers of VC and, and all this other stuff to, to, to tout and to promote their message. But it takes... Yeah, they have like, yeah, they have like all the money in the world, right? And yet they're doing such a bad job of actually changing their culture because it turns out that that costs more than they're willing to spend. And that's unfortunate. Exactly. Isn't that, isn't that strange? And this is what, uh, so I, I retweeted the other day, Gucci, after their debacle with the blackface, are looking, are looking for um, DNI people. And I'm like, if you believe, if, you, if your mental health and your physical, emotional health is important to you, please do not apply for these bullshit jobs because they're not going to put any resources behind you. They're not going to put any, uh, you're not going to have any authority. You're going to be beating yourself against the head because these are not DNI. And I issue these are leadership freaking issues. And if leadership doesn't change, and 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 fashion is fundamentally racist and sexist, then you are just going to be worn out. And then they can say, "Oops, check that box. We tried and it didn't work." Exactly right. It's checkbox checking. That you're right. It's that. Oops, we 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 tried that thing and it didn't work. Um, yeah. So tell me how the. So when I saw the article of the. I don't even know what department he was in. The guy who got all the millions to leave because he was harassed. Andy Rubin. And, and, you, and, the, and it, so it, it seems that Google employees found out the same time that the mass public found out about this information. Yep, more or less. I knew a couple of months early because I was especially plugged in. But yeah, yeah, most Google employees found out the day New York Times article dropped. So from the time that the article dropped, and I want to talk us through this because I want to give an example of how you... The Google employees um, um, got together and how they planned this because people need to hear the story so that they can replicate it because it makes no sense for us to do these things if we can't scale them. So the article drops. What happens next? So there's a fantastic article in the New York magazine uh, by the walkout organizers. Funnily enough, I'm not one of the walkout organizers. And I think that that's kind of an accomplishment that what I started is now fully self-sustaining without me, right? But they used the same techniques that I used for, uh, over the nine years that I was an activist from in Google from 2010 to 2019, right? Like you start a Google Doc, you start a Google group and you say, you know what? Anyone who's interested in participating in this and writing down ideas, write down your ideas, right? So in my case, it started with the Google Plus real names thing where I said, you know what? This is awful. Here are all the people at Impact. Let's write this list down. You know, let's put it down. Let's put it down in text. So that everyone can see how long this list is of what reasons why this shit is wrong, right? And then you get like, you know, 50 people, 100 people, 200 people contributing to that and saying, you know what, I want to organize this. And then after that, you get thousands of people to sign on and say, you know what, I maybe don't have the ability to support you in terms of organizing, but I'm behind you, right? To sign their names to this and say, you know what, I stand behind my coworkers, right? That same pattern has happened over and over and over again at Google, right? And it's happened over and over again so much that I don't have to be there for it to happen. So the walkout organizers started a Google group, started a Google document, 
And that's how they planned the walkout. Okay, I see two things. I see, I see this is a double-edged sword because it's great that it's now a part of the system, but it, 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 it alarms me that Google has had, had so many issues that it's now be- become a part of the system. I agree. On the other hand, every single other company is struggling with this. And instead of confronting it, they did, people just have to sit and lie and people have to just sit and, and accept that this is going on. Right. Like, you know, that, and I think that that's, uh, that's it's a telling of, it's telling of our community. It's telling of, of, of our industry because like I said, like I know Google's not the only one. And I, and I guess I could, I can applaud the leadership in the fact that at least, um, how do I say this? Um, because, I don't want to say it loud, you guys, to do it. How do you, how do I, what am I, because what I'm trying to say is. That's a funny word, right? Like, it's interesting because Google actually filed a legal brief with the National Labor Relations Board arguing against employees being able to use work communication systems to organize, right? They filed this brief in mid-November, two weeks after the Google walkout. They failed a brief saying, you know what, we're not, ac- we don't actually support the use of our communication systems to do this, right? So, in one but, sense, but your fucking communication systems are ubiquitous throughout the world at this point. Yeah, right. Like, you know, if they could do this to us, then they could, then it would set a really interesting precedent, right? Like everyone who uses email and uses documents could have their employer crack down on this, right? You know, Google wouldn't reach into another employer, right? Unless that employer's leadership said, you know what, crack down on this, right? And that's what we're afraid of. That, and that's just so interesting because, again, you have the status quo of these individuals creating these platforms who have this naivete about connecting the world and we want to we make everything special for everyone else and making them. But when they recognize that their product or service is actually causing harm, this is the, a reality they don't want to face. Right. It's, it's weird, right? Like it's, you know, connect the world, but oh, not like that. Don't use it to overturn the status quo, but you know, oh, let's connect the world. Oh, people are getting harassed. Well, I guess that's an unfortunate side effect, right? Like it's, it's such a double standard. Um, and you can say, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in here. And, um, and if you say no life, then we will cut it out. I'm just going to say this. So don't worry about it. Are you willing to speak as a person who was inside Google when the manifesto came out? I, unfortunately, uh, am in the situation of this lawsuit has been going on now for over a year. And James Damore has sued Google, uh, both in terms of his employment agreement and also in terms of a class action lawsuit on behalf of similarly situated people. And he has sued Google. And he also has the potential to add other defendants to the case, I believe, until April. So, Unfortunately, I'm in the position where I can't discuss things that relate to the manifesto. And I think that that's a silencing effect where, you know, people are using the legal system to argue that upsetting the status quo is discriminating against white men. Right. And I think that that is a unfortunate situation. And that's about as much as I can say to this issue. Well, and that's all you need to say, because it speaks volumes to me. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, Wow. So, so then why did you decide, let's talk about why did you decide to leave Google after, after nine years? What, what you had the walkout happen. Um, you said you, they get, you gave them a end date and then they said, no, it's going to be a little earlier than that. So why did you decide to leave Google? I realized that I was too burnt out. I had to take care of myself first. 
And that meant that I had to find somewhere else to work that was less toxic. Um, that there's only so much, I think I put it in writing this way, that, you know, if you're bailing out a, uh, you know, if you're bailing out a raft with a teaspoon and the people that are steering it keep punching holes in the raft, like that, that's not a really a healthy and sustainable situation. You know, maybe you get other people to bail, you know, to, to scoop with teaspoons. Maybe you get people to agitate to change the leadership. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to bail out the raft. And that takes energy. And I was just sick and tired of doing that. So, and the signs that led me to believe that leadership was not going to stop punching holes in the raft, that's what caused me to, to say, you know what, I can't keep doing this in the long term, right? The fact that with the Google walkout, you know, they issued five demands and Google basically halfway met one of them. And that's all they did, right? They halfway met one of them. They halfway met another and they left the other three untouched. Yeah, and that's how I feel about education because um, I, I was an educator and or I'm still an educator, but I'm certified. And um, and people are like, why are you such a great educator, or a teacher? Why did you leave? Because that system is, is too many people are profiting off the failure of the education system. And yep. there's no way without dismantling the whole system and starting all over again in a more ethical manner was I ever going to make any impact? So my 30 kids or 40 kids or whatever didn't mean anything to me. It wasn't a big enough scale for me. I wasn't able to touch enough. Um, Absolutely, right? It, it is 100% about scale. That's the same reason I gave up being a manager, right? I was a manager within Google for two years, kind of working more quietly within the system because as a manager, you're not allowed to advocate for overturning the system, right? You don't have those labor protections. And I realized I could make life wonderful for 12 people, but I couldn't actually fix things for the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people across the tech industry, across the company. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause a scene dot com. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like if it can't because when I say <clears throat> like for hashtag cause a scene, my strategy at first was to focus on. Um, so I tell people I'm not here to convince or convert. I'm here to help educate those white people who recognize or anybody who recognizes that they're complicit, that they're, they're either intentional or unintentional behaviors and mindsets are complicit. And so I initially last year and I launched this had focused on white men and I quickly shifted, particularly after the midterms to white women, because I spend a same amount of energy. If I'm going to spend the same amount of energy, um, um, educating. I need there to be some action. And white women, when they get it, will work because they're women. Um, and I know some men are going to get pissed off about this. But once I, I could do the same thing with white men and they continue to say, OK, so what do I do next? And, and so what do I do next? And, and I'm like, hey, I don't have the bandwidth to keep doing this. Um, yeah, you can't I, keep spoon feeding it. Yes. Yeah. And because that's what they're used to. And, and, I, I, and, I, and I also as a black woman, I don't have the patience for it. Um, I'm just like, no, I, I just don't have the patience for it. You either get it. Uh, I gave, I gave it to you three different ways. You said you understood it. I can explain it again, but you know what? 
but you need to be doing something too. And see, that's the thing. It's, it's not, it's, we're all trying to say this all the time. We're all trying to create a world, that, uh, an experience that was never meant to happen. You, I'm, if, if, if this country had its way, I would still be a slave. Um, and you definitely would not exist. Um, and so we're all trying to create something that was not meant to happen. And it takes people to get to, to grieve, to feel the pain, but to keep moving forward because we're all feeling it. Just like you said, you're burnout. I have to do it on a regular basis of stepping away, of, of doing whatever I can, because this is, I find what, what white people are missing in the work that, 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 uh, and their work that they're doing on behalf of upset in the status quo they're not also so they have the uh, yeah they don't feel the personal pain yes you know it's it's like yeah they're not also um trying to um deal with the trauma of what we're learning and what we're experiencing every day so it's like you just have this theoretical part of it we have the theoretical and the practical part so every time i hear a story about a trans woman being killed that's something i have to internalize i have to process because it's like oh fuck this shit is just happening and they really have no protection. And then I'm starting to think, how can I protect? And I don't, you know, it's this whole thing, which is burnt out, burnout. And this is why I, we, I say yeah, it's, this system has to be overturned by white people, but you cannot lead these initiatives. You do not have the forethought to lead. What you need to do is let the people who are most vulnerable do the work and you lend your privilege and your access and your networks and your finances and whatever the hell it is so that we can get this done. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that that's really that precarious thing, right? Like it can't be an abstract problem to you. But at the same time, if it's personal, right, then it leads to you being more and more involved until you burn out, right? So I think all of us as activists have to really struggle with this and figure out like what's the right mixture. And it changes on a daily basis. And that's the thing. It's like it changes on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, So um, before we transition into, and we'll probably get back, but I really want to spend some time on the trans issue. Because there's so many things with the military um, ban, mm-hmm. with the, I saw that um, actually today that I think American Airlines is now accepting the, um, the X as the gender. Yeah, all the major American airlines are finally doing it. Not just American Airlines, but Delta and United. Yeah, I just saw the article today for American. So so that's great to know. Um, And then I saw, I think it was South Dakota. Give me a second. yeah, they're saying that you couldn't teach tra- uh, about about gender identity in school. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that yep. came out. And so you have these like w- one step forward and then 10 steps backwards. And these yep. steps backwards are, 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 I'll let you speak to that because I'm not, a, and I don't, uh, all I can, uh, my, my strategy for trans, for the trans community, because to me in the LGBTQ they're the, the ones to me that are m- most vulnerable at this, at this point. Um, now people are going to disagree, but I don't give a fuck. This is what my opinion is. And so I want to leverage my privilege to amplify your message. So I, I want you to just talk about what you're seeing and, and how people can help and, and whatever. Yeah. So I joined the board of the National Center for Transgender Equality in the end of 2017. And at that point, the Trump administration had been in office for about a year. And what the executive director, Mara, said to me is basically, you know what? Our strategy is to is to delay, to block, to stall. 
and, you know, do everything we can to stop and slow the rollback of rights, right? You know, it'll happen, but, you know, even if we buy people an extra three months, an extra six months, right, then that, then that is doing really good work, right? Not even resisting the system is, in fact, an accomplishment, right? And it makes them less willing to keep doing this if they know every single time they roll back one of our rights, that's going to take them six months or 12 months. That's going to result in comment periods and litigation, right? It means they're not going to roll back all the rules at once, right? And instead, they're going to have to fight us on every single one. And that's what she said to me. And I've seen that strategy work, right? You know, yes, Kavanaugh got nominated to the Supreme Court, right? You know, all these things happened, but, you know, there are some successes, right? Like one or two of the federal judges got blocked because of their extreme LGBT, anti-LGBT views, right? You know, it's one or two, right? You know, but it's not zero, right? And I think that that means that our organizations that are fighting for LGBT uh, plus rights are in fact doing their jobs as best as they can. And then there are states where you can make progress, right? States where they now allow to where they now allow non-binary uh, gender markers on your driver's licenses, right? Like you know, states where the, where you can uh, have formal protections in the law for trans students to use the appropriate bathrooms, right? Those are all things that we can celebrate at the same time as we're also celebrating that things are not rolling back quite as fast as would otherwise happen. And, and I love that because I, I'm always trying to be an optimist in this and in, in all of this, because if not, I, I'm not a, I can't live on pessimism. That's just not in my nature. I'd just be a, a, a shit show. Um, so I always have to find something to something to hold on to that says that what I'm doing has value and it means something. I guess that's what it is. And when I'm doing something it has to have a meaning. I'm not just out here just doing it just to to to. Um, for whatever reasons, it has to have some meaning. It has to have some impact. And that's why scale is so important to me and, and, and strategy. And I say it all the time, intention without strategy is chaos. So if the strategy is to just slow it down, that's a strategy. And if it works, that's it. Because if you slow it down long enough or enough of it, at some point, his, his, his tenure is going to be going. It's going to be yeah. over. Right. Like we're minimizing the damage he can do. Yep. Yes. And, um, and I think that's what a lot of communities are, where a lot of communities are at this point. It's like, okay, let's count down. So the 2020 is coming. Okay, God forbid it goes to 2024, but what can we do in that time? And, and then I don't even want to just point it to him because he's just like the, the, the head of the pimple. Yep. Um, because this has been going on for so long that if it weren't, he wouldn't even be in office. This has been um, how... The, 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 the dismantling of, I guess that it's just the humanity. And that's why I find such kinship in transgender individuals, because black women have always been, we have not been able to own our own bodies, our own voices, our own, um, in feminism, we were left out in, 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 in black movements, we were left out because it was misogyny. Um, so it's yeah, like yeah, every yeah. turn, I really can understand the, what I don't have in the way that trans women is the violence against you and your identity as men or women that you choose to be. That's the piece that I don't have. And I want to make sure that I never say that I speak for you. Because that's a that's a component of that violence that is so different that I, it just blows my I'm just horrified um, yeah. at the levels of violence 
that are um, that are sanctioned, that as people are saying, it, it's justified. Yeah, right. Like, I think that it's really interesting to see the ways that the movement overlaps between trans people and between Black people, right? Like, when, when we looked at who worked with the trans community to oppose HB2, the bathroom bill in North Carolina, right? It was the NAACP that said, we're not going to support bathroom segregation, right? We've been through this. We know what it's like to have people police who can use which bathroom, right? I think that that was a fundamental moment to see, you know what? There is solidarity here, right? And I think the thing that I tell Right. And because I work in tech, I know a bunch of trans folks, but they're mostly white. You know, 90 percent of the trans folks I know in tech are white. And the thing that I say is, you know what? Like, look, the NAACP is standing behind trans people. What have you done for black people today? Right. Like, you know, right. Like we got to act together. And And that's that's the only way the oppressed gets the numbers and the power to have the voice, because if we don't get that together, we don't get there at all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that, that just sent chills because that's a question that I have been starting to see because what I've been seeing in the white transgender individuals who follow me, white transgender women, is they're struggling with the fact, uh, uh, with the issues of losing the privilege of being a white man. Yep. They're having a hard time with that. And yet they still have privilege. Yep, they still have white privilege. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a conversation that I I have a few. Um, and and again, it's so interesting that transgender individuals are are, are have created a safe space because I have several DM conversations going on at any time uh, when they're recognizing, particularly transgender women who are you know now having to see things through the eyes of a woman <laughs> um, that they've never seen before, and, and they're processing that. And again, it's what, what, again, what are you doing for the women of color? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of part of what I'm excited about with my work with NCT, right? Like is we have a board that has no black people on it. And I think that that's a problem, right? Like, you know, and that's something that I'm like, okay, what are we doing to fix this? Right. Or like, you know, what can we do to make sure that the leadership of NCT has enough people of color on it, right, to represent our constituency, right? Like, those are things that I think are really, really important and that I can, you know, simultaneously both be an ally to the Black community, but also as a person of color that I feel this too, right? Like, that we have to make sure that the movement is not just, you know, led by white people. It's not white feminism or or white transgender issues. Yeah, right. And that's why it is really exciting to me to see stuff like NCT standing up for sex worker rights, right? Because that is the uh, profession that a lot of trans people, especially trans people of color, do, is that they're sex workers. And that if you have SESTA and FOSTA that results in them not being able to safely work, that's a problem for the trans community, right? And the fact that they stood up and they were the one voice on Capitol Hill saying, yes, like, you know, this is an issue that's important to us, right? Kamala Harris, why are you doing this, right? Mm, mm. Oh, wow. So, okay, so I, I, I've, I gave money to two of the organizations last year, and it was the, the I don't, again, my ignorance, I don't know the name of it, but the two you mentioned. Yep, <laughs> um, uh, NCTE and TLC. Yeah, yep. one was a legal fund and one was, yeah. Um, and what else can I do? Because I know my $5 here and there is not... 
Um, well, it's doing something. I'm not going to discount my value. Um, it's doing something. At least I have the. But what can I do? And I particularly, what can I do for for women of color, transgender women of color? I think that the main thing that you can do that you've already been speaking up against is like the police oppression of people of color, but especially of trans people of color, right? That's a huge issue. And that's something that we can make a difference on if we act locally and we pressure our police departments to stop persecuting people on the basis of of race, on the basis of their transgender status, right? There's a case in New York City of a trans woman who was arrested for providing a false identity when she told the officers why the name on her ID didn't match the name that she uses. She was accused of using a false name, right? And it's the violence against our communities by the police, that that's, that's a major issue that we can work on. Okay, cool. Because I'm, I'm becoming more aware, because of um, Elizabeth Epps, I'm becoming more aware of just the criminal justice um, and how like um, bond and bail works. And this is all, and this is why I guess I, I have to, when I say I have to take a step back, because as I'm learning, it's learning about really traumatic things. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And it's like totally shifting my paradigm so much that it's like, I don't, it's, it's definitely, I have to take a step back and just try to figure out what, where does this piece of new information fit in with the rest of the bullshit that's going on? And, and how do, <clears throat> and how do, what role do I play? Or is this something that, you know what, I just say, I just, this one I can't do and I have to leave to some other things because there's a number of those things. Um, and so I focus where I can, and it's definitely in these communities that are more vulnerable to, than I am. And I'm seeing just like uh, someone from El Salvador just got deported um, and was killed when she got back. Um, yeah, yeah, I saw that in the news. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's it's those things that just are just demoralizing. But there's there has to be such grace and beauty and 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 release in and finally figuring out a way to stand up in your own identity. Yeah, and for me, right, like that is, I want to build the capacity of the movement, right? I'm demonstrating like, hi, I'm here, I'm making money and I'm giving it away, right? Like, and that's a message that I repeat in order to make sure that people think, right? How much can I give, right? How much can I express solidarity to people and give back to the community, right? That's the thing that I keep on pushing on. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Um, I did want to thank you for t- t- talking because when I have people from communities that I'm not a part of, I like for them to tell their own stories because that's we need to hear directly from you. I want to talk about, though, the um, like the tech coalition. I can't think of the name. It's the tech U- workers coalition. Yeah. And 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 you giving that um, $100,000 for people. Who- uh, yeah. It's not the TWC that's going to be administering the fund. But yes, um, I am working with a labor uh, organizing group in order to make sure that we can create a strike fund. Okay, so that well, I was speaking of them because their 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 message is about unionizing and and, and all these other things. What what is your hmm, what is your let's let's dream here. What is your dream? in five years, that all these efforts around workers' rights, what would that look like for you? I think that we need to have meaningful controls 
on the executives who run these companies, who are majority white or Asian men, right? And that we need to make sure that employees can push back when they do something that hurts marginalized communities, where they put profit above marginalized communities. And I think that that means that there is regulatory pressure. It means that there will be some lawsuits, right? Oh, and, I say that all the time. Lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. And now oh, yeah. it's, and it's going to take lawsuits. It's going to take a liability cases for people, for these companies to really, these leadership leaders to really start taking this stuff seriously. Right. But I also think, right, like, you know, as problematic as she is, Elizabeth Warren's proposal to say, you know what, the model in Germany works, co-determination where employees and employee representatives sit on a board and make up 40% of the board, right? That works as a control to say, you're not going to pull this shit over, right? That we can work in order to, with the investors, in order to force the company to be more inclusive. It's interesting because, and I, I want to talk to you about this because you just, something just popped in my head and I want to talk through this. So when I'm looking at a union at Chrysler, it was all about employees only. It was not about the broader perspective. But what we're talking about are not only employee protections, but the employee's ability to protect the, a global consumer, um, yes. which, is a diff, which is an additional layer. Yes. Am I correct? Yes. And, that is something that hasn't really been explored much, right? That one of the interesting corner cases that we're encountering now is that while it is legally protected, for us to speak about working conditions, it's less legally protected for us to talk to whistleblow about issues that are uninclusive products. And see, that's what's and that's what's gonna be the thing that tech has to fix. And this is where I and this is why again I'm optimistic because I'm in a tech space in the tech space and tech is is leading all of this stuff. No one's having these conversations like we're having these conversations. And what on the other hand, no one is hurting communities at such a scale as we are. That's true, but these other these other communities have been just doing it longer. And yeah. once yeah. we get this, get a formula that works, that scales, medicine is going to have to change. Law is going to have to change. All these other industries are going to have to shift um, because now there's a model for how to be inclusive and how to um, mitigate harm and how to think about this as a risk management issue. This is what I just don't get where this way I was like, do not slap a, I am not a DI. I am not an inclusion and diversity specialist. I'm a business strategist. And I talk about these things because inclusion and diversity is a part of a strategy. It's not, and, and if you are not, it's, I don't understand why it's so different than, than an HR person who only uses a computer to fill in forms. And there's nothing against that because the computer person, the person who wrote the program can't do the doggone, um, can't fill out the forms. So I don't understand why it's just such this, this hard nose ignorance that these are things that need to be strategies. And that's something that's slapped on top of something once there's problems and once there's harm out there, because you're right, we're, we're harming at a scale that's never been seen before. Yeah. And I think that, you know, other efforts that are in parallel that are happening are in the legal system, right? You have public defenders that are saying, you know what? My caseload is not defensible. I'm not able to provide effective defense to the people I'm defending, right? And law students are saying, we're not going to work for big law firms unless they support certain worker protections, right? So I think that it's starting to spread. But I think that's going to take time and it's going to take us talking about these successes in order to make it actually happen. And exactly. And being transparent about these successes. Uh, I'm working on the board of a, or, a women's organization that's about to um, launch. And we 
the, our idea is we're going to try, we're trying to open source it so that we're not the only that we're, we're not holding anything special um, that we're going to show you how to build an intersectional um, organization in tech. This is what we're going to be doing. Um, and we're going to lay out, uh, except for if there's any proprietary information, we're going to lay out how to do this because every organization is different and meets the different needs of, this, it needs of the community. And the more of these organizations we have, the better we are. Um, yeah. And the more individuals like yourself who have the leverage of the, the, the you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have yeah. that survival thing taken care of. Then you and this this is where and this is where I'm always transparent with the organization with the community. When there's money coming in for me, they see a different tenor um, um, tone in my. They hear a different tone in in what I do. When I'm looking at the bank account go down, is when I start that you know my basic needs aren't being taken care of. So now I got to focus on that. And then I have anxiety, which means I don't have the energy or the emotional space to deal with the stuff that I see that I could be dealing with. Yeah, and that's why I think the strike fund is so fundamental, right? Is that it addresses that basic need so people can feel comfortable to do that activism. Yeah. So how do you, then in that question, in that case, how do you, would you say we we do that or individuals like myself do that because I'm not in a company. I, spe- I specifically um, decided to build my own thing because I know knew once I started speaking that I couldn't work for another company and that was just not going to work for me. Um, so what what do you have any any best practices for us about how the individuals who are doing because the people outside of these jobs who are doing the activism we're the ones who really I mean let's we're we're struggling. I'm not getting a a direct deposit on the fifth and the first fifteenth and the first of every month. I'm relying on this community to say hey. You're, what you're doing is valuable. I'll, you know, consulting or my company needs this. What, what, what have you learned that's within the company that people like myself who are outside of the company but need that same protection? Um, anything you have about that? I think that there are two lenses to look at this through. One lens is to talk about the general picture of whose voices are represented at the table when we have these labor organizing conversations. And a lot of them, unfortunately, ignore the contractors and vendors who make up 50% of our workforces in tech companies, right? I think that we have to express solidarity and say, you know what? We can fight at the same time that we fight for equality of pay between different genders and races. We can also talk about, you know what, maybe the companies should be paying, you know, not net 30 or net 60, right, but paying people on time, right? We can talk about things like that. We can talk about contractor diversity, right? We can talk about, you know, right, it is, we have laws that say that you ha- cannot discriminate in hiring. However, you can have a program to improve the diversity of your contractors, right? You can say, we're going to allocate this pot of money just for black con- black owned companies or just for women owned companies, right? I think that that's an effort given that, you know, it upsets the status quo and it also is not going to subject you to legal risk, right? That you can say, we have a diversity effort. We're going to put more of our contract work out to people who are, who are minorities. And then I also think that we have to you know, push to include in terms of having people be a part of these conversations, right? To say, uh, you know what, our employee resource groups need to include people who are contractors, right? Part of the trap that we discovered was happening at Google was 
Ducal had all these rules to prevent contractors from socializing with full-time employees, which means we never heard about all the crap they were pulling over, right? Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't know, they weren't allowed to tell their story. So you had the privilege of having the safety, again, as another level of privilege. You had the privilege of Google, um, but but you didn't hear, they silenced the the people who were being most vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like we found out because... Uh, this this is someone you should have on your show, by the way. Uh, if you haven't had Demma Rosa Rodriguez on your show, she's an amazing Black woman. Make sure you give me her information so I can reach out to her. <laughs> yeah, but like Demma found out from one of her friends who was a cafeteria worker that they had these onerous rules that were like, you can't speak Spanish to your coworkers. You can't, you can't have your hair tied a certain way at work, which is now illegal in New York City, by the way. Uh, you can't have, you can't have your cell phone on you, even if your kid gets sick or your kid falls down, right? Like you can't have your cell phone on you at work. Right. All these onerous rules. And we found out about it only because of that friendship. Right. Not because the contract workers weren't allowed on our mailing list. The contract workers weren't allowed to otherwise socialize outside of working hours. Wow. On work campus. And think think about that. Who are you to say who can socialize with someone? That right there is just like, yeah. Yeah. They were saying you can't be on campus outside of your work shift if you're a contractor. And that was bullshit. Wow. I've learned so much. With Thank you so much for coming on. Are there any last words you have? This has been very, very enlightening for me. It was a good day. <laughs> any, any last words or things you'd like to share? I think the thing that I'd like to share is like, we have to stand up for what's right. And we have to do that in an intersectional way that we can't just stand up for ourselves, that we have to build that solidarity, like you said earlier, right? Like we don't have the numbers alone, right? That we, if we work together, we can actually accomplish change. And I'm really proud of what I've built at Google, even though it eventually burnt me out. Like I'm proud of what I built. It's going to continue. And now I'm off, you know, I'm off uh, supporting a business that is two, uh, that two women started. I'm supporting an organization that is upsetting the status quo just by the fact that it's owned by that it's owned by women, right? Like that's really powerful to me. Good, good, good for you. I'm so happy that we finally um, were able to have this conversation. Um, I've been feeling a little down lately, and I can tell you this conversation just put a smile on my heart. Um, it, it helped. I'm boost, so glad it helped me boost. Um, yeah, I'm very happy. I'm feeling feeling very happy right now. So thank you so much, Liz, for joining us, and have a wonderful day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Causing Podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Causing movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Causing community. Just visit the website at HashtagCausing.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Causing, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.